is a coach looking performance so much now of what I teach and I think is a way of feeling people having feeling what should I do with my body it's easy to teach them what their feet should feel I mean when I say easy of course I put that in quotation marks but if I can get people to think about foot pressure and foot position then like 99 problems go away welcome to the restore to explore podcast hosted by your soulmates from the foot collective I'm Nick and we're on a mission to empower humans to restore their natural health and function from the ground up so they can explore movement and life with freedom and confidence. This week, I speak with Kelly Sturette, who is a movement coach. He's the co-founder of The Ready State and the author of several books, including his newest one titled Built to Move. We start off talking about how Kelly influenced my perspective on feet back when starting TFC in uh, 2015 and how big of an influence he played there. We unpack the topics of performance and durability and living in alignment with our biology. As simple as that is, it seems to be something that's commonly overlooked. We share our definitions of health, things that we've learned on our journeys to date, and the importance of helping humans take better care of themselves, which is really what he aims to do with his new book, to create a new base language where people can be more informed about the things that are most important, the simple things that done consistently can provide the biggest gains in health. And um, I really enjoyed his book, Built to Move. I've gone through most of the audiobook, and I just find it really powerful as a way to bring things back to the simple essence of really what works, right? Not going into the complex and the complicated, really just nailing the simple fundamentals that end up having the biggest impact on human health. We talked about training balance, the value of the beam and how he uses it. We talked about doing maintenance on ourselves, basic maintenance, and also the importance of looking at things like sleep and food when we're looking to improve our physical health. I really enjoyed speaking with Kelly and I uh, hope you enjoy listening to our conversation. Ciao for now. Before we jump into this week's episode, I wanted to share a story from our community. Ray Cameron is a member of our Explorer program. Well, before I started this journey, my feet used to be all cramped up tight because of the unnatural footwear that they've been accustomed to. But I also have bunions. Now, by doing all of the exercises that I have available to me through the Foot Collective, basically I'm getting to splay my feet. I think for me, mindset is one of the biggest things that uh, contribute to our success because it's our mindset that actually says, what's my why? Why am I bothering to do this? Why am I putting all this time, effort and energy into working on my body? What am I getting out of it? And when I get to a particular point that's hard, do I then give up and go back to a life of you know, comfort? Or do I actually keep going? We become our own physician. We actually listen to our body. So what we're being asked to do is to do these exercises. Feel within your body, where are you? You know, sort of like being mindful. And it's those things that we do through our self-assessment that actually says, ah, these are the things I need to work on to actually improve myself. We then get a set of tools to help us do that. We look at feet and footwear, we look at balance, we look at doing squats and being on the ground. And all of those are incredibly important. But the other thing that is important is the community of people. So the feedback and encouragement that we got from everybody, we're all getting to the same destination. Our journey's not all the same because people have got different issues and therefore you work on them differently. But at the end of the day, it's about life. If you're like Ray and have a specific foot or ankle condition, issues up the chain at your knees, hips or back, or just want to improve your overall movement health, the Explorer program is for you. To learn more, head to thefootcollective.com forward slash explorer or head to the link in our show notes. 
All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to TFC's Restored Explorer podcast. Thank you for joining us. I'm Nick, and today I'm hosting today's conversation with Kelly Sturette, who um, is someone I consider to be a legend and sort of an OG pioneer when it comes to foot health. So Kelly, thanks for being here. Thanks for taking the time to share your story and your wisdom with our community. Anytime I can handle with foot nerds, I'm in. Sign me up for the foot nerdery. <laughs> Amazing. It's true. Well, you, you know, you let, me, get... let me just start for everyone. Like I'm a physical therapist. I'm a high performance coach. Eventually we're going to talk about your feet. Like it doesn't matter who you are or what we're doing or where, we, like you have neck pain. We're going to talk about your feet eventually. So it's just, we. I feel like we might as well start with the feet. I mean, I just had this woman in, she's a, a client. She has one lung. She has all these complex things going on since she was 26. Like she's 50 now. Where'd I start? Feet. And she was like, wow, I didn't realize we we're going to talk about feet so much. I was like, welcome to my life. Feet. Interesting. Yes. Well, you know how like people will go to universities and get like an honorary degree. I think you are most deserved of an honorary foot nerd um, oh, badge. It's, so that's, that's, that's legit because uh, <laughs> what, what's interesting is that, you know, as a, as a coach looking at performance so much now of what I teach and I think is a way of feeling people helping feeling, what should I do with my body? it's easy to teach them what their feet should feel. I mean, when I say easy, of course, I put that in quotation marks since we're all shut down. But if I can get people to think about foot pressure and foot position, then like 99 problems go away. And so, you know, this, it, it, I didn't realize how much you could go and become a total foot nerd because I just started using it as a tool to solve the problems that were in front of me. But I will say that, you know, it, my, my jurisdiction just barely transcends into foot nerdery. And then I'm like, Oh, you should go talk to my nerd friends. Like it's too <laughs> deep for me. Right. Well, that means a lot coming from you. So people in the community, if you haven't heard of Kelly Sturette, I don't know what you've been doing. Um, but look him up, check out his, uh, newest book called built to move, which we're going to talk about. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I was saying before, like speaking to you is kind of a big deal considering you were basically one of the biggest inspirations for creating the foot collective. And I remember, you filmed a video back in 2012. I went and checked it out just to make sure it was still in existence uh, with Brian McKenzie in 2012. And I remember just how impactful it was for me because it was it was like probably my biggest and first light bulb moment that made me really reevaluate how I viewed feet in my physio practice and even how I viewed my own feet. And yeah. it was sort of one of those, you know, gut punch moments where everything you think you know uh, doesn't hold true anymore, but it also opens up the possibility of like now you can actually learn about it. So um yeah, maybe before we dive into specific stuff, I'm I I'm just really curious if we really zoom out. I looked up and Google said that you started Mobility Wad in 2009. Is that right? Yep. So if you like hyper zoom out 2009 to 2023, that's 14 years. From then until now, you know, many books later, thousands of athlete sessions later, many coaches feeding you information. If you really zoomed out and you looked at the biggest things that you've sort of um, changed your mind on or the most potent insights that you could mm. tease out. Uh, I'd love to hear your perspective and, and just talk about that a bit before we get into more concrete stuff. Uh, it's been a long and windy road where we get a lot of feedback. Um, what I'll say is um, I don't know if we've made the case yet. We're, we're still getting there. Uh, that range of motion in, in restoring what your native abilities are, how important that is. Mm. Um, Supple Leopard, I think becoming Supple Leopard is 10 years last month. That's when that book came out wow. and in there, because it's, you know, it's, we only had like 450 pages, 500 pages to explain our case. So I'm, I muddled it up. I'm sure. 
But really, there were just two things that mattered in there. Range of motion, right? Can your body do what it was natively and innately supposed to do, be able to do? This is the, way, the reason we had to memorize all those range of motion skills. This is why we have all these tests. So can, can we, does your body do that? Right. The first half of the book is ultimately the expression through formal strength and conditioning what your body should be able to do. So it unifies the physiology you know, and how we actually train that physiology. So we can use strength and conditioning as a diagnostic tool. The other thing though, so our objective measure was range of motion. The other objective measure there was output. I really just didn't give a crap what you did at low speeds and low loads and low duration. It just didn't matter as much. Uh, one of my coaching heroes is a guy named Franz Bosch. <clears throat> and he has a saying that, uh, there's more variation in waltzing than there is in sprinting. And so at low loads and low speeds, you can get away with anything. And your body is very tolerant. And if you have good genetics and good environment, boy, you can move slowly, poorly for a long time. And you don't really ever have to pay a price. But when you want to go fast and heavy and you want to have movement choice, your range of motion and how you express and organize your body really does matter. And what we see is all the uniform, all the techniques approximate each other where it doesn't matter if your your school is left-handed school my school is right-handed school when our athletes compete they look and do the same thing even though we have different languages that mutually accommodation of the of the movement systems we start to see that oh well these these positions are unified around this sport or this activity what we couldn't do a good job of is explain to people how all of the other elements of their life impacted their range of motion what do I do day to day? So the first books that we kind of got interested in was, or the first thing was saying, hey, in, let's go ahead and start to put position as a vital sign in your daily training. So that instead of just only saying, well, I, my, I worked my physiology and I got stronger or fitter today, we suddenly were saying, hey, we can use this strength conditioning model as a way of actually testing the robustness of your position. So if you have to put your arms over your head, can you put your arms over your head with a barbell, with a dumbbell? Can you put your arms over your head when you're doing a pull-up? Can you put your arms over your head if you're doing a downward dog or swimming? Can you put your arms over your head when you're doing a handstand? Lots of different ways to put your arms over your head. Now I can say, well, can you put your arms over your head when it's heavy, when you have to go fast, when you have to breathe hard, when you have to put your arms over your head more than five times in a row, God forbid, like swimming, right? When you have to compete against someone else, all of those ways are just different tools and tactics to challenge your ability to maintain stable shapes and organization and efficiency. And what we saw was in the training that we were doing, if we could help people become more robust in their positioning and their positioning didn't change or remain stable under across a whole host of, of positions and, and demands on that position, then suddenly we had really, really stable athletes who were really capable of learning new skills and solving new novel motor tasks that they were left their, their sort of motor dendrites open to seeking new connections all the time. Hmm. And when we just end up focusing on, well, did you get another kilo on the bar or not? Or did you go faster? Those were very short term, very recursive conversations. They just didn't, they didn't allow us to really see what was possible with strength conditioning as a diagnostic tool. And what we realized, of course, is that when we put people in better positions, we had better expressions of the physiology, and oftentimes we resolved old pain problems. And then oftentimes, by improving someone's performance, we inoculated them against overuse injury, and we inoculated them against catastrophe. The issue is, where then do we do 
and how do I live for the other 23 hours a day? And that's where I would say are my biggest, the thing I've focused on, and remember my original like DPT work was on barriers to adherence. What keeps people from doing what they say they need to do. So mm. meanwhile, fast forward all this, all these years later, and I'm saying, how is it going? How is our trillion dollar the fitness industry is a trillion dollar experiment every year. And we can say, well, let's, what's our third party validation? What's our objective measure? Obesity rates, diabetes rates, chronic pain rates, surgery rates. I mean, choose something you give a shit about ACL injury rates in kids, you know, the number of orthotics being prescribed, like something. And then say, is it better, same or worse? Literally, yeah, the that's report easy. card sucks. So what I can say is hmm, this, this, this trillion dollar experiment in fitness, which is almost a trillion dollar experiment in entertainment. Fitness is entertainment fitness as leisure activity doesn't seem to purport to actually do what it's saying it's doing. And what we have now is I think two models. We have a sick care model, right? If you're a physical therapist and I only ever see you when you're injured, that's a sick care model. I wait till you're broken and I come put the flames up. And then we have a fit care model, which is people saying, I want to go faster and be more, less gross for my wife and more jacked. And I have all the resources. <laughs> and in the middle, we haven't really done our good job of saying, here are the lessons from high performance. Let's transmute those into families. Let's make it so we can start to say, here's what's essential. And in the new book, we have vital signs around physical behaviors and movement behaviors so that are independent of exercise so that we can start to say, how do we make the data less noisy? So one of the things that I've evolved on is really looking at behavior, really looking at when and who owns the problems. And then I've doubled down on foot position. And I've doubled down on breathing. And those things, maybe I, I didn't give those things enough understanding because at the time we didn't know what we knew. Mm -hmm. And now because we, the benefit to all of this, this data overwhelm, this, this Instagram fire hose, is that I'm suddenly listening to really bright people who are deep nerds and obsessive in their own areas of expertise. And I can figure out how that integrates. And I, can, I don't have to become a domain expert. I can become the greatest generalist in the history of the world, which is what I'm purporting to do. And in my own practice, attempting to do, become so competent as a generalist that you can't tell that I'm not a foot expert, that I'm so competent that when I exceed my, my experience and boundaries, then I really do need expert help from the outside in psychology and nutrition. So, you know, did I get anything wrong? I don't think I explained it as well as I could have the first time around what our objective measures were. And that removes all of this wishy-washy, my, my Kung Fu style better than your Kung Fu style, because I'm like, you just need to prove it with your range of motion and your, your, your objective biomotor expression output running, are you going faster? Because that's really where the beef that I have. I'm like, hey, your technique is cool. It's not used by anyone. You haven't applied your techniques to the greatest athletes on the planet. You've had 10 years now. So if someone's not doing your stuff, <clears throat> it's not because they're dumb and you're a genius. It's because you haven't figured out how to integrate it or show people how it fits into a greater system whole. And you haven't proven through your methodology that your system actually helps people get results. Because I go into the Major League Baseball, I go into Major League Soccer, Premier, Rugby. I mean, I see everyone's dirty laundry. I'm working in dozens and dozens of sports all the time. And I get to see who was there before me and what gets sticky. And I get a lot of data information. So again, what have I gotten better at? Synthesis, integration, and application. That really, because I've had another 15 years of practice, and that has made all the difference. I'm finally, sorry, everyone, you were part of my data. 
and <laughs> I was terrible. And now I know something. And so Hank, thanks for hanging in there with us. Yeah. I mean, we do the best we can at all times and we're and the best people are constantly learning. So you would expect for them to constantly shift the way they explain things. Mm. You know, obviously the, the roots of the tree and the trunk stay pretty stable, right? The fundamental yeah. principles, but how those are expressed and how they're communicated is really based on the feedback you get from people and all the interactions you have. And I love what you said too, about the idea of load, um, testing things under load to essentially as a forcing function to make the invisible visible. Cause I think that's a big thing I had with physio school is like, they're asking us to do all these assessments in like no load, passive, relaxed environments where it's actually really hard to find no if context. someone cheats. Yeah. There's no context and it's really easy for people to cheat. But like when you stick a load in their arm and you say, do this and it's a really straightforward movement or go down, drop into a squat without doing all these funky things with your feet. It's like, there's no way of cheating that it's an honest screen. And I think the, sometimes the hard thing is finding an honest way to measure that can't be tricked or fooled and that no one can bullshit. Cause that's really the, that's really the test, right? That's the report card for all these systems. So, yeah, and I really appreciate that. And, <clears throat> and inherent in that conversation is some really important data, like important sort of features. The one is why have we put the physio so far away from the activity? Like, you know, people said, I went and saw my doctor and I'm like, did she watch you run? You went in with a running problem. They're like, no, she didn't even touch me. And I'm like, huh. She took a picture of your bones at rest. That's super weird. That's right? really useful. You know what I mean? I'm like, so how do we get, this is a really existential problem. How do we get the diagnostic tool closer to the stimulus for adaptation? How do we mm -hmm. get exercise and leisure closer to the treatment table? And ideally the treatment table is right next to the squat rack or right next to the track so that we can see inputs and outputs and more closely understand what's going on. You also bring up a really huge point that our movement is a moving diagram. It's a moving living document, you know, and that, you know, all I need you to do is go run a marathon, take a red eye, don't move on the way back, have a baby, celebrate with some wine, and then I'm just going to measure your hamstrings. And it Big turns bad. out you're going to be, you're going to suck. Yeah. And that our, our bodies are in constant dialogue with our environment and our exposures. And that means that if I go in for a health checkup once a year, boy, you get a snapshot of me on that day and you don't get a snapshot of me hung over on January or through the stressful situation that happened with my family or like you just yeah. get this one little snapshot. So I want more snapshots day to day. And that means that we have to expand the complexity and the, and the sophistication, the education of what training is so that it's always skill based. Look, if, if I thought it wouldn't matter, then I would just say, let's give everyone blood flow restriction cuffs and we'll give you an assault bike and we'll just do a bunch of dumb work. You know, here's a leg press machine, but we know that that doesn't translate. Yeah. It doesn't make us more skilled. It doesn't help us to solve more movement problems. Bigger engine always is not the solution. And people have been talking about that forever. I mean, Pavel was the first person ever. He's like, you can back squat, double your body weight. Let's stop doing that for now. And let's start working you more skilled and more explosive. I mean, we're finally getting to a place where there's a, a coach. Uh, he's now the head strength and conditioning coach at Indiana. He's from the university. Um, he has a method and a, a technology that allows us allows them to ascertain the maximum amount of of meat your frame will hold in terms of muscle mass based wow. on your anthropometry. So they take like 20 different measurements and they're like, the max you can be is 106 kilos before we start to see a massive increase in soft tissue strain. So by the time they you start to get that, then we can start having a different conversation. You're bigger enough and strong enough. Let's make you more skilled. That's really radical instead of saying just – 
let's deadlift 700. Now let's deadlift 800. You know, just there's, there's been a recursive training nature where we have fetishized the gym and we forgot why we were in the gym in the first place was to go train for something. And now I think we're at a place where we really need to make sure that the physio is next or the person understands what they're seeing, the coach understands what they're seeing, and we can restore and, and, and collect that, that if we get better at helping people understand that their range of motion is dynamic and their ability to express that, and that's why we train. That's why there's down, that's why you do sun salutation so you can understand how your body's feeling in the morning. We call this session cost is a technical term for it. Like what's the cost of yesterday's training or yesterday's stress or, you know, and we want people to be able to feel that. But as long as we've sort of just turned fitness into entertainment, like I'm dancing on my, with my Apple app, it's just dancing entertainment. It's super cool. Your heart rate got up. It's super cool. I'm not diminishing that. That does not say anything about the robustness or the skill of you. Yeah. And it's almost like we haven't, we haven't fully understood how complex the body is with all the interdependencies of all the variables. Right. And if you don't know all the variables, um, then you can't really consider the ROI of what you're doing because you don't actually know the things to measure to determine what the return was. Yes. Yes. Trying to train someone to get stronger without considering anything about their sleep or their mental state or their mindset is like really hard to even make much progress, right? You hit these like upper limits where you're like, well, that's just, you know, we trained you until you got hurt. Clearly that's a limit of your training. And it's like, well, what about those 18 other things that affect how someone trains and recovers? It's like, now it seems like the puzzle's expanding and like the, the culture of movement and obviously depends on who you're around, but it seems like we're taking into account more of the variables and how they interact with whatever specialty we're doing. And it just makes for more durable athletes. I think durability is like one of the most under, under, like misunderstood or just not even acknowledged where it's like, okay, you can have a great athlete. It's very strong, but if they break down 24 seven and they're hardly able to play, it's like, what is the rate limiting step? And I, yeah, it's, it's cool. Well, and if see, you, especially if, in your if, book built to move, like it seems you, like you just broadened it. Um, we're trying, quickly. we're trying to say, let's do, let's get first principles first. And by creating mm-hmm. vital signs, which is a new way of expanding vital signs are typically all lagging indicators. My blood pressure is a function of a whole bunch of physiology in the front. And what we tried to do is say, hey, how, what are the leading indicators? What do I do today to impact my sleep? What do I do today to impact my, right, my tissue quality? I can say afterwards, I'm like, whoa, your tendon is super inflamed and chunky and congested. That tells me about the state of the tendon after 100,000 other f- events, right? So where do we begin to help sort through that noise? And more importantly then, how do we make it so it's not another listicle where you're just giving someone another set of biohacking things that seem inter- unrelated and that right. they can't fit into their lives. It's another sort of, you know, yeah, I need you to play this game. And then, you, oh, wow, it's not sticky and there's no behavior. How do we know? Because it's not working. It's not working. And, you know, um, you know, I think we're seeing a reaction in some parts of movement culture who have completely divorced themselves from this CrossFit centric, gym centric, egocentric training, which is like you never have enough pull ups and all they're doing is martial arts dancing like things. And I really understand that, respect that. Like, I, they're like, hold up. Just because you can back squat or pull doesn't make you a great athlete, doesn't make you a good mover, doesn't make you move. There's got to be some in between. And certainly if all we do is fetishize, you know, how many watts you can put on a, you know, stationary bike, that has nothing to do with how you race a bike, you right. know? So 
where do we begin to tug at this? And then I think the thing I'm starting to be more interested in now, because it's still fun to go and help the best athletes in the world be better. I love that. But I'm more interested in taking those lessons and saying, how do I transform the functional unit of my life, which is my household, my training partners, the people I live with, my roommates, my family. That is the most functional and most important unit of metric, metric of unit or unit of function that we should wrap our heads around. And that, if we don't transfer and transmute those lessons from high performance, then let's just call sport what it is, circus, entertainment. <laughs> but I'll tell you that that's not the case, that what we know around feet has come out of not dance and ballet, although a lot of it got started there, but out of you know really working with athletes going fast, you know, of how do we know what we know about nutrition? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, it's really not born out of the art, you know, the FDA, it's born out of, you know, humans trying to go faster. And we learned a long time ago or recently a long time ago that, you know, whole food nutrition was the key to unlocking the superpowers of the body. So again, how do we take those lessons and, tr and sort of bring them into my 14 year old daughter, my 18 year old daughter? How do we get them to be able to benefit from this living laboratory that a lot of us love so much? Yeah. And it's like focusing on the clear application of all this collective intelligence that you've gained is really that is kind of, and, and applying it to the everyday person's life, that is actually how the health problem is solved. It's not through some fancy new technology, a better way of replacing our parts. It's like, how do we help the average everyday person have more clarity of the simple things that they can do to take care of themselves in a more effective way? Instead of being overwhelmed with a billion things, it's like, maybe you need to subtract 90% of the stuff and just do the 10% important stuff consistently. And it'll blow. And I think that's sometimes where people get hung up. They're like, no, no, no it can't be that simple. It's like, it actually, it can be. It is. Here's the proof. It's like, I do it and I can do this or I can do this. And sometimes just doing the things is the way you teach all the other people, especially in family nodes. It's like just being acting like a healthy person will affect. It. I learned this from experience. Acting like a healthy person without trying to change anyone else was the best way to affect my family. Yeah. Um, Let me give everyone an allegory or an example of what we're talking about. Um, TFC makes great balance beams, little small play surfaces that you can have at your standing desk, in your kitchen, in your garage, That it, and you're not asking me to do another thing. Here is your 45-minute TFC balance beam routine that you're going to drop in and stop. Like What you've done is you've created a tool that serves as a mnemonic for play and exploration and you know, an, an understanding that I can do 15 times a day that I can do 20 times a day that I get uh, like, I have a touch of what they call the ADD. And, uh, my wife is like, you should probably super, be on Adderall. It's a superpower. It is. And she's like, Grand but B. if I'm in a zoom meeting, I'm standing up, standing on my TFC balance beam the whole time. Hmm. And I'm getting so much work in. I mean, I just was on a long business meeting today and I spun 20 kilometers during this wow. meeting. I got on a bike and rode 20 K while I was doing nothing and it allowed me to focus. I'm not saying that a bike in your house is the solution, but I'm saying, boy, you could stand up and have really strong feet while you're doing something else at zero cost. And you didn't have to give up your dance class or your CrossFit class or your powerlifting class or your walker in the neighborhood. And yeah. that's how we have to think about the solution is saying, how do we shape the environment to constrain 
the behaviors where I don't have to make another choice and I don't have to add another thing back into my life. It's built into my life. That's crucial. Yeah. I think designing the environment to nudge you to the behaviors that you want to be doing is like the most effective because we default to our environment, right? If you got couches everywhere, you can try and sit on the ground or not sit as much as you want. You're going to sit. Um, yeah, that's a lot of that resonates because the idea is, is like, if it's not fun, you're probably not going to do it. If it's not convenient, um, you're not and there's no it. prompt, you're not going to do it. So it's like having something where standing on a tube of metal or a piece of wood for 10 seconds, people underestimate how much recalibration happens like every second when you're just challenging your body in the limit. That's it. Is that... Yeah. You can almost think, well, hey, I have to be in these shoes. I can't be barefoot or in my minimalist shoe. It doesn't look good with my jeans or my daughters mock me. <laughs> so I'm going to wear a different, make a different shoe choice. But then all I have to do is do this thing and my biking gets better. My running gets better. My back feels mm. better. My feet feel like I don't have, you know what I mean? I want to have 10, you know, changes with one. I'm always looking at what gives us the thing. Yeah. And what you hinted at there was this really powerful idea of recalibration that my body actually requires daily input for my brain to understand the state of my being a good warm up is you getting to know your body again that's what we should be doing for warm cuz you know you can't step in the same river twice you don't show up i mean day every day i go to train i'm older and i'm like wow i really have to open up my hips more like me <laughs> kelly star at age 50 i have to be like wow you i don't, don't do this thing that i tell people to do i my water is going to suck right so there's a reason my warm ups are sort of calibrating and then i really can look at how do i keep the inputs and necessary inputs engaging with my brain so I can maintain. And suddenly you're like, well, I guess that's not such a radical idea, but it feels radical, doesn't it? It does. Sometimes doing the simple things consistently is like makes you an outlier. Um, One of the things I wanted to bring up was this quote that I've heard you say many times. I think there's a lot packed into this is by uh, Miyamoto Musashi and, you know, make your combat stance your everyday stance. I've heard you say that a bunch of times. So I'd love to hear, you know, what does that mean and why should people care? Mm. What I liked about that idea of making your combat stance your everyday stance was that there's no difference between us moving slowly and moving fast. I want to have a skill that continues to transfer. So let's put this in the context of feet. If I'm running and I'm heel striking, right, which is what most people are doing. We were, we were just, we just watched uh, Lone Survivor with our family and the actor playing, um, you know, uh, Mike Murphy, because we just had Memorial Day, is the worst runner ever. And it's only, <laughs> he's only made worse by the guys racing in the beginning. And they're heel, and I'm like, there's no way that guy's a heel striker. This, Mike Murphy was not a heel striker. Like, I guarantee you, he just couldn't put out. So if you're heel striking, take your shoes off and then go run the same way. And all of a sudden, you'll, you'll discover, oh, wow, this heel striking doesn't work. I'm going to shatter my heel bones. And you'll immediately correct your chain. You'll change your stance. You'll change your foot pressure because you can't get away with that. That's an artifact of shoes. It's like saying, well, I can do whatever I want, lift whatever I want. I just have to put this belt on. (laughs) And you're like, yeah, knock yourself right out. Just wear this brace and do whatever you want. We want skills that transfer. So if I'm running and I'm contacting the way I would, if I was barefoot, I'm going to land somewhere in the, my forefoot, right? It's not, it's not going to be heel. And it might be different depending on my speed and my angle and the surface I'm on. But that skill remains constant at an independent of speed. So what I'm looking for is 
teaching to the highest expression of the movement and the best expression of the body in my daily training and restoration practices and my recalibration practices. And oftentimes, this is a classic case that a lot of people can relate to. We do all of this very sophisticated movement training with our Olympic lifts and our complicated barbell lifts. And then you do conditioning and it looks like horseshit. You are moving, your feet are all, your balance is off, your back is, it's just awful. And I'm like, what are you practicing under this cardiorespiratory demand? And so ultimately, we can apply that same idea that I'm looking for skills and positions that transfer more effectively and allow me to regress and progress. Oftentimes, my beef with physio language, for example, is that we come in with a problem and I'm given a, a task to help solve that problem and remedy that problem. And it's dead end. I can no longer scale. So a good example of this in the current phenomenon, and again, I'm not throwing shade at anyone because it's all tools are valid for the right person at the right time. And that's not just like, I'm not just making small talk here. We see that a lot of people are squatting on slant boards obsessively because it allows them to squat. And there's suddenly they're using the range of their knees way more. They're able to load. They're able to get deeper in their hips. That's great. But then I see them squat off a slant board and they can't squat. They don't, they're like their pressure is off. They don't know what to feel. And what we see is suddenly that this tool has become very much a band-aid and it hasn't transferred very well. Cause then I start to say, well, what's the world record for squatting on a slant board? No one knows. You know, I'm like, how come no one does this on a slant? And you suddenly you're like, why is no one squatting explosively on a slant board? Oh, because your body says there's no way. And so what we see is that's not an invalid tool or not a valuable tool but it's a tool that has limited utility. Mm. And what I'm ultimately interested in is what are the skills and transfers and, 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 and tactics and tools that allow me to regress and progress. So my combat stance is my everyday stance. That what I'm doing with my feet, I don't have to have perfect arches and maintain my thing when I'm doing my first pull or in Olympic lifting. That's also how I stand. That's also how I skateboard and how I surf. And suddenly now, Everything becomes practice for everything. And what yeah. we get is repetition without repetition. We get massive amounts of movement variability that end up with a single skill. So suddenly, because that's where the repetition without repetition came from, is looking at people who had multiple variations of hammer swing, right? So that they didn't overuse a, an elbow in, in like, this is like a, a factory in like the 1930s, right? And all of a sudden they had tons of variability in the swing, but they always ended up in the same position. Well, that's the same thing as why I use wall ball and Olympic lifts and jumping and, and all these tactics to come back to foot position. And what I'm really doing is saying, can I transfer all of these different skills and integrate all this variability to having a single robust skill? But if my foot is different in all of my different tasks, my brain does not connect all of those dots. And I have, I will default to my most learned position. So if I'm jumping and landing with my feet turned out, when I go jump off a cliff and land, my feet are going to turn out. They're going to go right to the position I have practiced and scaled. And for me, I'm like, that's less effective. I'm not yeah. talking about injury prevention. I'm talking about you can't absorb as much force there. You can't generate as much force there. You can't be as efficient as, you, as you'd like. So combat stance is your everyday stance is saying, hey, let's go ahead and make sure that you actually have full range of motion and that you're working in the limits of your ability and skill and, active and the range of motion you could access so that we can have the highest expression of the movement as our default. And what we often see again, critique of physio, is that they're like, it doesn't matter. Posture doesn't matter. 
Oh, really? It doesn't matter. Well, what if I want to go learn to swim? What if I want to go learn to backflip? What if I want to go learn to, well, suddenly that posture does matter. So I might as well teach you a posture that transfers to a thousand other skills instead of a dead end posture. Yeah. And just the notion that we're always training our bodies, right? Is I think a powerful one for a lot of people. Cause it's like, if you're sitting in a chair for eight hours, you just trained your body to get really good at sitting in a chair. Yeah, and that, that comes that's, up that's what you're practicing. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And if you're standing with your knees collapsed or your feet turned out, you're training your body that that is that you're always training and teaching your body. Do you want to teach it to move well or do you want to teach it to, to move poorly in terms of efficiency? And, and it, notice that you didn't yeah. use the word pain and you didn't use the word predilection towards injury. That's not what we're talking about. No. We're saying that if you practice these positions, you have less access to power, less access to range of motion, less access to movement solutions. You're shutting down your movement choice. It's not about injury, but it turns out if you get injured, <laughs> if you're having pain, when I put you into better positions, oftentimes and restore your native function, again, not super normal, just normal. Mm. Oftentimes we also get pain reduction in the bargain. Yeah. And one of the a word that gets thrown around a lot is performance. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of people look at it in the context of like the highest performers in the world, the world-class athletes, professional athletes. But I think the term performance and its application to just basic humaning, right? Like how do you perform well as a human that wants to do the full spectrum of whatever you want to do, right? Not be limited to doing something because your body won't allow you yeah. um, and be able to do all love the things that. you love to do forever. So I think it's like performance and durability are like these simple terms where it's like someone who, you know, an older person that wants to be durable, that doesn't want to break down. To me, that's like sort of durability and who wants to be able to do the things they love and play with their kids on the ground and just not break down. That requires them to take the mindset of a, of basically what a pro athlete would do to improve their performance and improve the durability. So what, like, what are your thoughts on performance and durability, how the terms are used, how you kind of view them context wise? Yeah. You know, I think what we should be saying is, you know, if we're, if we're being honest, like a naggy approach, right? Like we define in our world, we define injury as no longer being able to occupy my role in society, no longer being able to occupy my role in the family, no longer able to engage in my recreational activities. You're injured. Pain is not an injury. How do right. I know? Because I'll just step onto this campus where I work and I'll ask the 30 division one athletes I work with on regularly, who's pain free and not a single one raises their hand. So I'm like, Hmm, I guess you're not all playing because you're all injured. And they're like, hold up. You know what I mean? Like we're, we battle like pain is a normal expression. So right. defining that term is, is, is crucial. Like, and so when we define durability as again, I think the root of that is saying, can you move through your environment doing the things you want to do in a pain-free way, right? That's really what the true definition of mobility is. Durability, you suddenly see is, do I have a body that allows me to engage in my society, my functions, interact with my family in ways where I have movement choice? As you said, my body allows me to do. And that may be because I can't get up and down off the ground because my hips are stiff and I can't play with my baby. Or I have pain and can't get up and off the ground. Those, those things are equal right? Mm. Imagine if you didn't, you couldn't do a task, but th there was, instead of that, couldn't do a task. We said, oh, that's pain. You would suddenly be like, holy crap, I'm in a ton of pain. I can't put my arms over my head. I can't. So what we've taught everyone to do is just wait around until they have pain. Right. The performance piece we know is really about 
output, doing the things in your genetics, your thing. And what your hint at there, because I think it is true that that's, that's not very accurate language, is what are the sets of behaviors that allow me to re reproduce higher levels of output the most often? And suddenly we're back into this biomotor expression that, you know, the, as we said, I'm interested in skills and tactics that scale in the same way I can say that, hey, if you want to have less pain, if you want to have less congestion, if you want to feel better at your job, you have to sleep. The same way that I have to say that if you want to world, world, win a world championship, you have to sleep. You have to fuel. You have so suddenly we we start to see that these these essential behaviors end up scaling up and down. I can use them to say, hey, they buffer elite performance, and also they make my body more durable. You know, and that that's why how those things I think are related is that they're on a spectrum. That ideally I'm durable across, but if I am durable but I don't ever use my body, that's cool. If I'm durable and my body is required for my job or my life, then that's cool too. And it turns out the same behaviors because in 10,000 years, guess what? <laughs> Bulletin, everyone, you're the same stinking person. Your shoulder's the same. My hip is the same. It's yeah. the same. It hasn't changed jack in 10,000 years, except you're a little fatter and my femur's a little longer, or we can switch <laughs> that around. Your femur's a little longer, I'm fatter. But the idea here is that we really haven't changed that much. Yeah. And what we can then really start to say is what is essential. And uh, I mean, I just saw this neurosurgeon named Jack Cruz, who I, I like, and just so you know, he is highly political and crazy, everyone. But he just pointed out that there's an interesting correlation between the, the latitude you live at and your, your correlation with heart disease based on sun exposure alone. So what we start to say is, huh, I guess sun is kind of important for people. And we're like, well, yeah, if you don't get enough vitamin D, you get rickets. Well, how do you make vitamin D? You eat it and you are out in the sun. Well, if you don't go out in the sun and you don't eat vitamin D, you get rickets. So, you know, what we start to see is, you know, the same way we're like, we solve scurvy. Here's vitamin C, right? Here's, we solve rickets. We'll put vitamin D in the milk. That's why we put vitamin D in the milk, everybody. And then we're like, oh, it needs A and D, you know, vitamin A to go with that vitamin D in the milk. Suddenly we, we are starting to say as a culture, these are essential minimums so that we can avoid health problems. All you and I are doing is expanding that very simple idea to say, hey, we need to walk more. We need to have our feet should be able to do this so we don't lose our balance, right? We need to interact in certain ways. And suddenly, man, it starts to be a lot simpler than we thought. Yeah, and I, maybe this is a good spot to talk about built to move because I really feel like with built to move, it's like instead of just the musculoskeletal um, sort of piece of the puzzle that you mastered through Mobility Water and really gave people a template for, this is how, I love what you say about this is how to do basic maintenance on yourself. And I think that is like the key to people, to, the key to actually solving the health problem is not more people helping sick people. It's not expand <laughs> the sick care system. It's like, why don't we just help people understand the basics of how to take a bit better care of themselves? Like the bar is very yeah. low. People are lost. They don't know what to do. They're Who being owns actively that, right? confused. Where do get people get that info? I mean, you're, you're hitting on it. You're saying it. I don't mean to interrupt, but then we really have to say, well, okay, where do we start this information? Who's responsible? How do we, how do we teach families and, and parents and kids? How do we, like not to have to need a system of, of sick care to say, Hey, you should right. drink some more water. You're, you're yeah, absolutely and, right. And it opens I mean, up. That's what's so great about that fundamental question is it answers the question with, okay, well, where do we do that? 
H- how do we enforce that or give people the choice? Absolutely. Yeah, because I, I, I mean, the sick care system, I'm, if I get sick, um, I'm glad the sick care system exists. If I yes. snap an arm, I'm really glad that there's people that can put me back together and know how to do that. But the amount of things people are using the sick care system for that are completely preventable with basic, simple maintenance that anyone can do on themselves is kind of astonishing. So it seems like with, you know, um, supple operators, like here's how to do basic maintenance on your musculoskeletal system. If your joints don't move, or if, if you're not feeling good in your meat suit, here's how to take care of the suit totally. so that you can move better. Pretty subversive idea. You can do this at home. Yeah. Groundbreaking. Um, but it seems like with built to move, it's like zooming out, looking at the whole puzzle and thinking of, okay, everything's interdependent. Everything's interrelated. You can't improve one area. It's like, I always tell people you, we're not really focused on feet. Cause if you, you can't have functional feet with dysfunctional hips. Like it's all, I look at the lower body system as like many interdependent systems. You can't optimize one in isolation of the others. That's right. And it seems like, which one do you want move, your lungs or your heart? Which one do you want? <laughs> yeah. You can't <laughs> choose both. So you're screwed. Um, but it seems like we built a move. You zoomed out and you've essentially given like the guidebook of how to take care of your body from a really holistic perspective, everything from A to Z in terms of our behaviors, including sleep. And, you know, you've hit on all the essentials and you've basically given people a template for this is how, this is the user's manual to the thing you've been given, which is insanely high tech. And, you know, if you use a, I always tell people we're given this formula one you know, obviously the body's way more complex than a machine, but the metaphor I think can be helpful. We're given a formula one vehicle, an insanely high tech, um, piece of machinery for the metaphor. And then we take it out to the rally track and it breaks. And we're like, oh, this car sucks. It's like, well, you didn't use the car for what it's supposed to. If you bring it on a formula one track, it works insanely well. Um, and it seems like so many people are using their bodies for things they're not designed for, but they have no understanding of that and people in the sick care system are not incentivized or trained to help people understand how to use their body so with built to move uh why did you write it and who's the book for yeah uh such good questions um keep in mind that what next time you go into your see your doctor for a problem and she talks to you and gives you incomplete information. Remember, what questions would you ask yourself in six minutes? <laughs> right? The system is right. just set yeah, yeah, up yeah. for everyone not to get what they want. It's, just, it's just a rigged system. It sucks. That's right. Um, what we thought was we want to simultaneously take what we've learned in all these high-performance environments from, again, as I hint, like, you know, English national soccer team to elite Navy to universities. How, how do we take those essential behaviors and then really spin them down into their essence and say, how can I apply this to my kids? Right. And we found these 10 behaviors as sort of organizing principles that aggregate a whole bunch of other behaviors, right? Like sleep actually starts much earlier in the day. Can I move enough? Can I get off caffeine? Can I limit my alcohol? Can I, there's a whole, well, to do those things, I have to have a whole lot of other things in, in place, right? I have to eat and food and drink water, move my body and, you know, all these other things. Um, what we also recognized was that, again, these are the, the behaviors of the hinges that open the biggest doors, um, was that we wanted an integrated approach. And we felt like Matt Walker's, you know, Why We Sleep was a really great book, but it was all about sleep. And it didn't tell yeah. me about these other things. Um, you know, James Nestor's breath is an incredible book on breath, 
but it doesn't talk about range of motion in the hips or, right, or, or standing up some of these vital signs and simple behaviors. So we wanted, because we're, again, hyper-generalists, we really wanted to show people and write sort of a prequel to other work to say, here's what your other 23 hours, here's what a physical practice looks like where you're taking care of your body and we're independent of exercise. We read a book talk and someone's like, I feel bummed that you didn't, you don't include walking as exercise. And I was like, hold up. Walking is more important than exercise. <laughs> I want you to view walking like you do breathing and that mm. it's that important. And then if you happen to be able to exercise, cool. But that's how important it is. I'm like, I, I put it on a pedestal. I pulled it away because I don't want people to say, well, I don't have time to exercise, but I have to walk. That's what you know, we're, we're trying to go for here. The other thing is um, we have, you know, Juliet and I are middle-aged. We have two teenage daughters. We sit in front of a computer a lot and we have a lot of, so we're users. And we have a lot of neighbors who come to us saying, we are really confused. Is it keto? Is that what I do? Is it like, you know, I did this, I went to Peloton and now I fast. Is that what I do? I mean, they're really confused. Yeah. They're maybe then they're, the rationale for why they're interested is varied. I want to be less gross. I want to lose weight. I want to get my blood panel back. And so what we want to do is say, hey, here is a simple template, as you said, with some vital signs. So if you're covering, we're trying to get you 10 out of 10 here. But some of these things you'll be covered, and some of these things are probably blind spots you've never, you know, thought about before. And the hidden thing, and I just want everyone to hear this, because if you're listening to this, you're probably a coach-like person, is I want to create a resource for coaches and trainers, because we're asking, I have come to believe that the training hour is the most important hour in anyone's life, where we can really understand sleep, we can understand nutrition, it gives us context to talk about a lot of things, pain, range of motion, skills. But it's, you can't cram all that in in an hour. We need to right. train. We need to just warm up and get cool down and move and skill and compete and fun and high five and not talk about all the other things. So this is almost the template. And, and as a, we owned a gym for 16 years. We saw a lot of people come and they weren't prepared for the programming that we'd laid out for them. They hadn't slept, they hadn't fueled, they hadn't moved, they hadn't decongested, they hadn't you know, recovered. And so we were like, it doesn't matter what we're throwing at you. You wonder why you still don't have abs. Well, that's not our fault. That's your fault. Right. And so here is what we want you to do. And we want the same thing for physicians and for physical therapists to say, hey, we're going to work really hard on this hour and this time and intervention. And here are some supplementary material that you can dig in that we know will support the interventions we're having here. So that's really the idea behind Built to Move. And what we saw was, man, it's very complex out there. How do we become very simple? We even created at the end, if you go to builttomove.com, we have a free companion video guide that goes for along with the course because we feel like we have to do a better job of inviting people on this health, fitness, durability adventure with us. Yeah, I feel like you've basically created um, a a base language for health, which is portable to individuals, families, coaches, doctors, schools. Um, it's just like the basic language. Like we don't have fundamental literacy of the basics of how to care mm. for ourselves. Yeah. And it doesn't actually mean you have to be an expert on anything. Like I think the effect no, be of a, health professional. Be a rad dilettante, please. <laughs> just be a health that. generalist. And yeah, I just think, because I, I feel like there's a lot of misdirected energy. Um, where people are not, it's not lack of motivation. Like I've seen people no. that are seriously overweight and they are hardcore motivated, doing lots of the wrong things. And it's like, if they've redirected 10% of the energy they're putting into the wrong things to doing the right things, they would see a hundred percent more results. 
And it seems like that base protocol of like, here are the important things. There's many other things. You can do the other things, but do these first. Check these boxes off before you do the other stuff. And I think I love your um, terminology of base camp. We use that too at TFC. And it was really all based on the metaphor of before you climb a mountain, you should get to the get to base camp and have the basic tool set so that you can actually go and climb the mountain. No, no, let's argue about mountain, which you're gonna rope. Crushed. Let's argue about which rope we should take or like yeah. who's got the lighter like shoelaces. That's the level of nuance and bullshittery that we're seeing in the in the conversations we're having. Meanwhile, yeah. as you say, no one's at base camp yet, right? And and we don't even know if we have the skills and the abilities to go up there. And what's interesting about this book is if you if this resonates with you and you grab it and read it, again, you should easily be 10 out of 10. These aren't these aren't tricky things. This is right. what a good physical practice. Our vital signs, like 120 over 80 isn't great blood pressure, everyone. It's a baseline. And like what's an athlete blood pressure? Much lower. And if you're 130 yeah. over 90, that's not bad blood pressure. It's just, hey, we should pay attention to this. Right now we have a benchmark. And so this gives us a real opportunity to start to create real meaningful and reasonable reference lines and reference behaviors, reference sort of benchmarks that help us understand inputs and outputs. And what's nice about that is that Juliet and I are totally agnostic about how you want to do that. You, you are a balance beam walking ninja and then you're vegan. Cool. You should crush all of these tests. No problem. Do you get enough protein every day? You get enough micronutrients every day. And what's fun is that we're finally in a place where we have enough data and enough research to actually support these behaviors, which are fundamentally very logical and, and straightforward and simultaneously well-validated. And, you know, we have a chapter on balance here, I mean, for the people, because we're like the number one reason people end up in nursing homes, can't get up off the ground. What's the, what's the first test? Get up and down off the ground, right? And then we think fall risk is super gnarly. And we've also come to appreciate, especially through the work at TFC, that when we had our athletes focus on foot strength, foot control, balance, they became better athletes. Well, we also know that what's, what's, why, do, why do people, you know, the Solek standing on one leg eyes closed test is a really good indicator of how likely you are to fall. And if you fall, I mean, we, we just put up a, a, a piece of content that was basically summarizing some research in New York Times that came out or an article about some research that we expect fall fractures in the hips to double by 2050. What's that about? I'll give you a hint. The Hoka shoes are not helping anyone. You know what I mean? We're not moving. So like, man, if the number one reason we're going to die is that you fall over 50 or, you know, fracture, you know, there's something we got to be able to do about it. And why isn't your Pelotoning addressing this? And so suddenly if, if you're showing me the primacy and the effectiveness of your exercise program, you'll nail these tests. That's what's so great. We have third-party validation. So I don't care if you're keto, carnivore, vegan, paleo, it doesn't matter. Show us you can hit, eat these basics. If you love to train or do some kind of thing, cool. This can help you to identify blind spots. And I think that's really what allows us to have the next conversation. We'll see. I mean, I think this is the most important thing we've ever done, but if no one cares about it or it's not sexy enough because it's not, you know, Juliet doesn't take her shirt off and show her abs. You know, I mean, I just- I want a refund. (laughs) I know, I know. So anyway, thank you. I I mean, I think it's, this is what we need. Like regardless, this is probably not what people want right now. Um, But eventually with enough pain, they come to understand that's not about what they want, it's about what they need. And Mm. I think when the language gets- 
updated, when our collective language of health gets updated to say, okay, you can do all the fancy, sexy things, and those are fun to do and power to you. Go ahead and do them. But if you haven't done these fundamentals, or if you're, you don't have a general awareness of these things, you're going to pay the consequences. And unfortunately, the people you go see when you face those consequences aren't actually trained in this basic language yet. Yeah. Um, and everyone is doing the best they can. Everyone is applying their training as best they can, but there's no, you know, I love your terminology of disease care and, and uh, healthcare, because I think, I think if we just acknowledge that we have a disease care system, we don't actually have a healthcare system. There will at least be some acknowledgement that maybe we should create one. Maybe the healthcare system is individuals taking care of themselves. And, you know, the thing I love about Blue to Move is like, it's not, it's not like a book. It's kind of like Supple Leopard. It's not a book that you read and you're like, done, sweet, move on. What's the next thing? It's like, this is a reference guide that you should be looking at regularly because you're not you're not going to memorize everything in there. It's there as a reference guide to make sure that if you forget the standards or if you get off track, that's actually kind of part of the process. But you need to get back on track and kind of recalibrate things and reprioritize. Because yes. I often feel that people, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, it's like people aren't actually missing information. Like a lack of information is not the limiting step to people actually getting better, right? Like if you ask a really overweight person, they're like, yeah, I probably need to move more and, and eat better foods. Fine. Where they struggle is the application of the information, which is way harder. Um, and, I, and I think the complexity of the information is inversely related to how much you, how easily it can be applied. So if you have really complex information, very low likelihood of, of application with consistency. If you have really simple information, which actually comes from a complex exploration of all the things to kind of distill out the simple, right? People think you just come up with simple things. It's like, no, no, no. We explored the limit, like seeing your work in the past. It's like, I can tell that built to move comes from the exploration of the fringes of complexity to then come back around and be like, turns out 99% of that stuff is for a certain kind of people, a uh, certain kind of athlete or, or may not even be that big of a priority until you're ready for it. But this 1%, is like the highest ROI, most important stuff. And people are probably going to think it's too simple to be true. But once people, once people apply it and they see how better, how much better they feel, I think then you have people that sell it for you to their family within, and it start, it's like one individual going through built to move, making transformative changes in their lives by removing 50% of the crap that they were doing and plugging in 10% of the fundamentals, telling everyone in their family, telling everyone in their social media community, I think that's where healthcare happens is like individual nodes taking responsibility, but they need a guide. And it seems like, yeah, it seems like with built to move, you, you kind of nailed it. Like there's, I think it's going to be a really powerful book. I think it's probably not, um, it's, it'll take a while to permeate just like anything. Right. Well, first but, I say, get out of my brain, get out. <laughs> Second thing I would say is, um, you know, supple leopard is a textbook and it weighs yeah. a lot. And it is now 10 years old, but has sold a million copies. Wow. And, um, That's you incredible. know, people found it because like you say, I think the node is the, is the idea. So we just have to have one person in the household who says, Hey, yep. moly. And something that you bring up that I, I really like and just want to reiterate for every kind of double click on is we actually, I think the people in my community like you, we're very much aligned with Carl Rogers, unconditional positive regard. We mm. feel like, oh, you just don't have the right information or how to synthesize this, and integrate this, let us help you. And, and in so doing, you actually can feel better. 
and something you said, I think you can feel better. And what we didn't say was do this because you won't get disease. Do right. this because something bad may not happen to you. Like that, that didn't work. <laughs> I mean, like people knew that, you know, cigarettes was bad and they still smoked them. Like we couldn't, we, that making that connection just didn't work. Hmm. And really one of the remarkable things here is that what we're pointing at is actually, you think you feel great, but you actually can feel better. We think you're, you think you're working at the limits of your ability, but you actually can work harder and be fresher and have more energy for your family in the evenings and more left over on the weekends when your time is your own. And I, I think that's, what's really lost about this is that people just sort of, you know, their bodies are so tolerant and we can get away with so much. Um, Recently, I was just talking to uh, some friends at a tier one military group, and they found out that the thing that made the most difference in sleep of their, their tactical warfighters was when they have all the technology, all of the availability, but when their warfighters stopped drinking, it affected their sleep the most. It was the only thing they'd ever toyed with that dramatically correlated one-to-one -one with improvements in sleep. And so they, they go dry for a month, they perform better, they sleep better, and wait for it, testosterone went up. They didn't have to like, sh you know, jump on HRT, they didn't have to. So we're not saying that alcohol isn't awesome and proof of God's love. We're just saying, man, <laughs> when, when you start to sort of understand how all of these things impact the same thing, and that when you start to make more informed choices, then you can plug and play. Man, we're drinking a bottle of champagne tonight because we are ballers and we're celebrating, and I'm going <laughs> to suck for a week. Yeah. And that is worth it, right? Versus, man, I'm so stressed. I don't know how to deal with it. I'm going to reach for this bourbon, yep. and I don't know why I slept like crap, and I feel like, you know what I mean? And I, I think that's where we're really trying to help people through this message that I think you can actually feel better. And one of the sort of emerging, one of your early questions, like what have, what have I changed on or evolved on is that I have this strong belief that athletes that feel better perform better. And it's that simple that, you know, people, people say things like, do you think that's the most effective thing? And I'm like, well, how's it working for you? And they're like, what well, makes me feel great? I'm like, go and keep doing it until it stops making you feel great because there's right. no harm in what you're doing in this thing. And, uh, you know, I think that's what's really remarkable is that when we start to, you know, that is very much a subjective driver. And of course, I am, you and I are trained scientists. That's why we think in the scientific method as physios. We make a hypothesis. We test our hypothesis. That's what physio is. But when someone says, I feel better, I believe them, even if it's belief effects. But yeah. fundamentally... Because they're know, the only judge that matters. <laughs> that's right. And underneath, though, though, when we see this complicated physiology start to get turned back on, start to be reintegrated, uh, start to be awakened, right? Then I'm not surprised that people can't quantify how they had more mental energy in the afternoon, right? Or they didn't need that cup of coffee at four o'clock. I mean, that's what we want to try to help people understand is that through these fundamental behaviors, you actually can get more work done and have more fun. And now we're back to that whole thing. Like what's the best way for someone to learn a new skill is through play. But if you don't have any energy and you feel like crap, you don't want to play. Agreed. People need to play more. Um, yeah. And I, I, I think in my experience, health mostly comes by subtraction and it's so counter to the narrative of to do this, to do this better, I must do these extra things. I must add yeah. these things in order to get this physique or whatever. And the alcohol thing is a prime example of like, you could have done all the things to try and improve your sleep, but all you have to do is subtract one thing and 10 things felt better. Yeah. Um, 
And I think sometimes that surprises people and they don't think it's true. Once again, it's too simple to be true or that can't be the case. But I think a lot of times it's like subtract the chair. Guess what? Your hips move better. Subtract your shoes. Guess what? Your feet move better. And you didn't have to buy a new fancy thing. You didn't have to buy the ergonomic station. Just like literally reconnect with what it means to be a human without engaging with this artificial environment that has just warped our physiology beyond recognition sometimes. I heard um, uh, a good coach say, you're, who's a fighter coach, he's like, you're attempting, I think it was Tony Blauer, you're attempting to use a complex motor skill against my complex motor skill. And that complex motor skill is not fast enough to meet my complex motor skill. And that we need base positions and reflex and fundamentals so that you're not, you know, doing some very complex thing. And I think if we apply that, that sort of narrative to what we're doing, we're all seeking this complex solution to a, what seems like a very complex system. And, you know, one of my favorite writers around this for everyone is a guy named Charles Perrow, P-E-R-R-O-W. And he wrote a book called, uh, complexity theory. And, uh, no, what is it? It's called normal accidents, excuse me. And the idea behind a normal accident is if you take a really complicated, tightly coupled system where there's a lot of inputs and outputs that are sort of hidden from you, you don't always know how those inputs and outputs are interacting. And ultimately, when you have something that looks like an accident that happens or a freak behavior or freak outcome, that's actually just a normal expression of the system if you give the system long enough time to express itself. And so if I alter your foot function long enough, we start to see strange things happen in your toes. We start to see strange things happen in your back and sort of your awareness about what happens. And, and suddenly when that thing happens, that's actually just a perfect expression of the system, but it's hard for us to see inputs and outputs. Yeah. So what we end up doing then is say, hey, let's go ahead and start to control for what we can control. Because I think we're making a lot, especially around our bodies and our brains, we're making a lot of informed decisions off of very complex, dirty data. So how do we begin to, to streamline or clean up the data so we can have more sort of understanding what the signal is and we're not just sort of reacting off of the noise, you know, your poor foot, you know, and your weak feet and collapsed arch is maybe temporarily supported with an arch support while we get you strong enough not to use the arch support, but an arch support is a very complex interaction into a system that's highly complex with fundamental errors on the other side. And yeah. so what we end up doing is add, adding in, and now let's add Ozempic in there. And then let's add in, you know, all the other things that we've got going on. We have a, a friend who is plagued, plagued with tinnitus. He had bad ringing in his ears, so gnarly, and it really destroyed his sleep for years and years and years. And we talked about it a long time, and I've asked him out. Turns out he was taking Ambien. And he was on massive amounts of Ambien for years, but never connected his Ambien usage to his ring in his ears. So when he finally weaned off Ambien to sleep, because real pressure job, found this complex biologic solution, right? I'll just put this Ambien in. I slept. More entropy into this complex system. Yes, that's right. So suddenly what he realized was that, well, he got off the Ambien. Someone's like, hey, you got to get off the Ambien. We got to get a, a baseline. And then the ringing in his ears went away. Crazy. Health by subtraction. Yeah, health by subtraction. Uh, I want to honor our time. We're already three minutes over, but the last question I have for you, and this is 
Sorry, mm-hmm. everyone. This is this is such a nerdy convo and about we didn't really even talk about substance things. That's why I love okay. this man. It's all right, dude. I appreciate you so much. And it's like I had a million things written down after going through <laughs> Built to Move and I haven't even looked at them, but this was way juicier. Yes, we have walking a mile barefoot. We have walking barefoot is in the book and no one has asked Do me you? about it. Yes. Oh, I didn't even see that part. Maybe I just... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we were like, we were like, you got to go walk around barefoot if you can. If you're not going to step Love on that. glass, you know, we're like, but go be barefoot. You'll be. Seeing, yeah. I'm barefoot right now. Somehow, when you're barefoot, dog poo, needles, and glasses everywhere is what I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> just don't step on them. That's people. That's right. Sometimes people think I'm an ass when I. They're like, "What do you do about glass?" I'm like, "I just don't step on it." <laughs> I just and then I just look at them aware. and they're like, "You fucking asshole." <laughs> um, question I love to ask because it actually it's very subjective and it should be is in one or two sentences. How do you define health? Hmm. I'm going to take my approach through there and I'm going to say that it's doing what you want, pain-free with your body in your environment. That really what what it comes down to. And of course we could spin off in there but you know as we expand on that definition, it's really about maintaining your movement choices and which one of those things isn't important? Is sleep not important? Is nutrition not important? Is walking not important? It turns out they're all important if you want to maintain your movement choices and be able to move through your environment in a pain-free way. That's Beautiful. your human right. That's a great answer. Kelly, thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If people want to know more about what you do, what's the, uh, what's the best way for them to find you on the interwebs and what you're doing? Well, we have builttomove.com, again, for resources for your family and for your clients that you're like, hey, I want you to go through this free 21-day course um, to help sort of get you back so we get the most of our training. We're obviously on the ready state at the ready state is all of our stuff, the ready state.com for courses and all those fun things. I just want to remind everyone that I have a bespoke TFC balance beam. It's beautiful (laughs) in our brand colors. I am a user and the TFC is, is my, uh, my go-to. Thanks for the support, Kel. And uh, yeah, for everyone listening, we'll catch you next time. Ciao for now. Thanks for listening to the Restore to Explore podcast. To stay up to date with all things TFC, join our brand new free community. Inside, you'll find a growing library of education, training, and resources to help you resolve common conditions, restore natural function, and explore your body's potential with a community that's there to support you along the way. To join, just head to thefootcollective.com or you'll find the link in our show notes.